Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, Bill Gadden's ETSU College of Pharmacy. Uh, it is, uh, you know, late, mid, mid to late May 2022, and I want to talk today about how I use the NCCN guidelines. Um, and we'll probably tell us how to use them, but this is how I use them, and there are a couple different ways to use the NCCN guidelines. So let's start with NCCN. This is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. I uh, I have no inside information on how the guidelines are created, prepared, but I do check them very frequently. Um, so um, just kind of go through it. They're they're a a great resource. They are a free resource. You do have to uh, create an account, so you have to give an email address and a password uh, to get an account, but then you can access the, the NCCN guidelines. Um, now, these are, uh, this cancer network are, you know, the top cancer institutions uh, here in the United States. Uh, I've never worked at an NCCN institution. I did train at an NCI, a National Cancer Institute Designated Cancer Center, which is not the same as the NCCN, but although I'm pretty sure all the NCCN institutions are NCI-designated cancer centers. Um, and they put out guidelines. They'll put out guidelines on, um, you know, mostly what I'll talk about are the cancer treatment guidelines, but they have guidelines for supportive care as well. Um, but I'll talk about the guidelines that they create because that's what I think most of us go to uh, uh, often, uh, you know, when uh, maybe uh, faced with a, a figuring out what to do for a, a disease state. So uh, these guidelines are uh, made by uh, a panel of about uh, about 30 individuals, um, usually physicians, uh, often uh, mostly physicians. There may be some uh, some scientists on there as well if there's, uh, you know, some, you know, like a, a big genomic uh, um, implications for a disease state. There can be some pharmacists on there as well and nurses for some of the supportive care measures, but mostly these are physicians. Um, they do, uh, they're human, so they are potentially prone to conflicts of interest with industry, and those are listed on, on a separate page uh, for each thing. But they basically uh, create uh, their guidelines, and they are, I suppose, supposed to represent um, what is done at these NCCN member institutions, uh, what uh, are assumed to be the best cancer centers in America, the cutting edge, so to speak, of treating cancer. So they will create, you know, they've got guidelines for pretty much every malignancy. Now, it's not always, um, if you're new to this, it can be sometimes challenging to find what you're looking for. So uh, I'm going to use the, the uh, renal cell carcinoma or kidney cancer guidelines a lot because um, I, I look, I, I, I do a BCOP or I've done a BCOP uh, 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 lecture for, for uh, renal cell carcinoma uh, the last couple of years. So I, I go to these frequently, and in doing so, I, I've seen some subtle differences in how uh, the guidelines change over time, which, which I will get into. Um, what was I going to say next? This is great podcasting. Um, so anyway, these folks get together. Oh, yes. So if you're looking for the renal cell carcinoma guidelines, you have to go to the kidney cancer guideline, which contains both clear cell and non-clear cell renal cell carcinoma. But the kidney cancer guidelines do not contain Wilms tumor 
guidelines. There's a separate document for Wilms tumor, even though Wilms tumor is a cancer of the kidney. Uh, so it can be a little confusing. It, it makes sense because Wilms tumor is a pediatric disease, so they'd be different physicians taking care of Wilms tumor patients than renal cell carcinoma patients. So it does make sense, but it can be challenging, especially like the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or the, the B-cell lymphoma guidelines. They, they change the name sometimes. Um, can be hard. Sometimes these documents are hundreds of pages long, and they are a little bit challenging to navigate. So we'll talk about logistically just kind of how to navigate the guidelines and then some higher level concepts for those, uh, maybe especially those who are PGY2 oncology pharmacy uh, residents. So the, <coughs> the panel members, <coughs> excuse me, the panel members will talk about, you know, first line treatment for such and such disease state. And they will, um, there's some nomenclature we gotta familiarize ourselves with. One is the category of recommendation, category one, category 2A, 2B, and three. And then whether or not it's a preferred or, or other recommended uh, intervention. So a category one uh, recommendation means that there is, quote, high level evidence um, and uniform consensus. Now, high level evidence is not defined. It does not always mean overall survival benefit uh, has been shown. Uh, it, and sometimes uh, high level evidence seems to be that there's overall survival benefit from a poorly designed clinical trial, and that can be high level. So high level is not always high level in my opinion. That's the first thing. These are humans. They're doing the best that they can. Um, so category one, high level evidence with uniform consensus. Um, uniform, uh, you know, uh, is, means uh, unchanging in form and nature, and consensus is kind of opinion, okay? So the panel, if the panel members say, hey, there's good evidence for this, uh, and we all agree, that tends to be category one. Uh, one could argue it's impossible to have high-level evidence without you know, two independent confirmatory studies. That's kind of the basic tenet of science is um, anything that is found experientially or experimentally needs to be confirmed independently. That doesn't necessarily hold true with the NCCN guidelines. Otherwise, we'd have a lot fewer category one recommendations. Anything that is a category one recommendation, it'll say in parentheses, category one next to it. It'll be called out. If they don't say it, uh, designate it. It's a category two indication. That's on the bottom of every page is, unless otherwise noted, all recommendations are category two A. So category two A is lower level evidence, but uniform consensus. Category two B is lower level evidence, um, with consensus, but not uniform consensus. Now, what that means, don't know. I don't know if uniform consensus means um, there is, uh, you know, it's 100% of people agree, or whether it's more than 80%, uh, or if, uh, you know, just consensus means more than 51%. I don't know how that is determined. And maybe it's different from panel to panel. And then category three is any level of evidence, but major disagreement. So some years ago, there was um, you know, you know, a, a large randomized controlled phase three study that showed, um, you know, progression for, or disease uh, recurrence uh, benefit with sunitinib in the adjuvant treatment of like stage three renal cell carcinoma, and there was a category three uh, recommendation suggesting major disagreement on whether or not that should be recommended, and that tells you there's something controversial there anytime you see a category three recommendation. You can have multiple category one recommendations or category 2a recommendations for say first-line treatment of metastatic colon cancer but the panel will sometimes say this is our preferred regimen so there's another um, set of designations so preferred 
um, means that this intervention is based on superior efficacy, safety, and evidence, and when appropriate, affordability. They will often have other recommended regimens, and that may be somewhat less, less efficacious, more toxic, or based on less mature data, um, and, uh, or significantly less affordable than similar uh, uh, recommendations. And then useful in certain circumstances, just like what it sounds like, uh, it might be something like um, you know a renal cell carcinoma with an EGFR mutation or something like that. There may be an erlotinib regimen that gets a, a useful in certain circumstances designation. And these are important things, but they, um, you know, uh, I'll put it to you this way. Just like an INR of 3 um, is not twice as high as an INR of 1.5 because it's, it's a ratio, uh, you know, a category 1 is not necessarily <coughs> um, the same difference between a 2A and a 1 and a 2B and a 2A. Uh, they're, they're, they are uh, they're levels, but they're not necessarily equal distant between each tier, if that makes if that makes sense. Okay, so from a practical standpoint, the way the guidelines are, are uh, laid out, it's a big PDF document. Uh, and NCCN's, you know, you just, they're, they're very f kind of finicky about who can cite this. The bottom, it says, you know, you cannot reproduce anything without the express written permission of NCCN. Um, so, you know, if you are making slides, you don't, don't copy and paste from NCCN. It's sort of a no-no. Um, so, they, you know, they got the title, the panel members, and the top, I kind of break this up with the top half and bottom half of these documents. The top half are, are all algorithms. So the diagnosis, the workup, when to do a PET scan versus a CT scan, uh, how often to monitor, things like that, that I don't look at a whole lot. Those are in the top half, as well as the treatment algorithms of, of when to do this regimen uh, for these patients, how many cycles to do of chemo. Those are there. Now, these algorithms are challenging to to work through and to wade through. There are hyperlinks that can help you navigate through the top half of the algorithm. Um, th I think the most useful thing in the top half are the suggested regimens are often tables, especially for disease states where there are um, multiple chemotherapy regimens. Um, and then for many of the guidelines, there will be um, a page called, or a couple pages called principles of systemic therapy or principles of radiation therapy, principles of surgery, principles of supportive care. Those are really useful to go to, especially for learners. They give you the most important things to know about, um, you know, the big picture maybe of treating these things uh, and taking care of patients. Uh, a couple notes, kind of how I use the, the top half here is, let's say a physician wants to use a, a regimen I'm not familiar with in a certain disease state. I'll go to that, the, the NCCN guidelines for that disease state, find the chemotherapy regimen, and in the section where they list these regimens uh, in the top half, uh, after they go through, let's say it's a colorectal cancer uh, or colon cancer, you know, there'll be like adjuvant colon cancer regimens, metastatic regimens, and after each section, there'll be a list of references, and I will reference mine and find that reference uh, that supports that. Uh, just, you know, if I want to look at uh, what were the supportive care that they did prior to this, what were the inclusion-exclusion criteria of that study, for example, uh, what were the hold parameters or dose reduction parameters, I often like to go to the primary literature to find those, and instead of searching for PubMed or Googling, I'll go to NCCN and use uh, what they cite, uh, which is a useful way to, to find that information. I will also point out that the details really matter, and it can be confusing to, to kind of novice oncology clinicians, when you look at this, um, it's very easy in the breast cancer guidelines to, to figure out, am I, am I in the triple negative algorithm or not? Because they don't say triple negative. 
Um, so it can be kind of confusing sometimes to find those things. Um, and there are lots and lots of footnotes. I'm talking not just like an asterisk and then the cross or a double cross or a tilde. I'm talking like A, B, a, B C, D all the way through Z, double A, triple A, triple O, like tons and tons of footnotes and, and that stuff is important. Uh, I'll also mention that the top half uh, also will have a summary of ch guideline changes from the most recent guideline, which is really important. So that's kind of the top half, all right? And that's, that's almost like the executive summary of these disease states. Now the middle is where the staging is. So you have the top half and the middle is where you can find the staging or you might think of it as the very last portion of the top half. But the staging is always right in the middle before you get to the bottom half with it, which is the discussion, all right? And this is a narrative. Uh, that is written and is honestly a very good review of the disease state. So if you um, are, say, uh, you know, you're a, a pharmacist and, you know, uh, like some colleges of pharmacy may really focus on the, the four most common cancers, breast, prostate, colon, and lung cancer. And, um, you know, you want to do some reading on the basics of bladder cancer. This narrative section of the bladder cancer uh, guidelines is a pretty good place to go uh, to read that. Uh, it often will, will have some historical context about how things have changed over time or, or you know, if you're looking uh, and you know that chemo radiation is, is what is required for a certain disease state, what's more important, the chemo or the radiation? That can be often found in the narrative section as well. Now, a, a couple issues with the, the narrative section. These guidelines are very real and living documents. And that's something a lot of organizations say like with, a, with their strategic plan, this is a living document. And it just sits on the shelf for like five years or something. These guidelines are often changed multiple times in uh, a calendar year or in a, in a fiscal or academic year. Um, and when that happens, it's often the top half that is updated and the discussion is maybe only updated once a year, so it's very common to go in and see uh, that there have been uh, you know, recent changes in the top half of the guidelines, and then you go to the discussion, and it'll say discussion in progress, like almost like a draft form. And this is very frustrating to me, because there have been times that NCCN will change something from a category 2A to a category 1 recommendation with not, without citing any new evidence. Um, so somehow, it went from lower level to higher level evidence, but nothing has been cited. And so in that scenario, there may be, uh, you know, uh, an abstract presented at a national meeting that I'm not aware of uh, that they will that they will cite. Um, there was a time in the kidney cancer guidelines in the last iteration where something went from a 2B to 2A recommendation without any new data at all. The same citation was the same study from like 2014 or something. And I want to go into the discussion to see what is what has changed, what's the rationale, and the discussion still in progress. So, so that is one uh, discordance here when you look at that. Uh, and I think that's really important because ultimately this is consensus. Now these are the experts, true, but it is their opinion, and we are all entitled to our own opinions. Uh, and and sometimes those opinions, um, you know, are, are you know sometimes uh, they don't hold water necessarily and they are based on kind of considering all patients the same. Their guidelines are meant for guidance. They're not meant to be uh, the, the only way to treat uh, a disease state. So uh, one of the things that I sometimes see our, our fellows fall into is a physician will say, you know, why did you choose this regimen? Well, it's category one. 
but why over, you know, like maybe this patient has a contraindication, a relative contraindication to a drug in a category one regimen. What are we losing by going to a category two A? Has the category one regimen been compared to category two A, or are they both been compared to say a, a, a different control group or placebo? So you. If you really want to practice oncology at a high level, you cannot just take the NCCN guidelines at face value. You have to take them as almost a table of contents and then go and read the book yourself and go and pull the studies and familiarize yourself with the primary literature in that disease state, which is why a lot of the podcast episodes are reviewing you know, new publications of primary literature because that ultimately is what guides care. These guidelines are a great synopsis of years and years and years and years of clinical evidence in primary literature in a certain disease state. Uh, but if you're going to be making decisions for these things, you do need to know the primary literature. And the NCCN guidelines can, are a useful tool that can guide you where to dig deeper into those issues. So especially if you want to practice at a high level, I really encourage you to use the, the NCCN guidelines as a, uh, as a reading list uh, almost of what uh, you need to read before taking care of something because anybody can follow a recipe and that's kind of you could think of the NCCN guidelines as a recipe book and almost anybody can follow the recipe but it takes a higher level clinician to know when um, maybe an ingredient in that recipe is inappropriate for a patient and what are the pros and cons of just substituting a different ingredient or a different drug or making up maybe even uh, you know a recipe on the fly on your own um, I will, I will kind of finish by saying what I find, you know, the, the two things I kind of find most useful about using this is, you know, I, you know certain diseases I, I know the evidence pretty well, like lung cancer and breast cancer, kidney cancer, etc. Um, so I, I don't tend to go to the guidelines a whole lot. But ever now and then, even in a disease state, I think I know pretty well, I will find there's something new in the guidelines. And usually that means I have missed something in my, you know, my typical journal scans and, and going to meetings and staying current. And I can find the citation that is the, uh, or the evidence that is the basis for this change or addition of the guidelines and figure out, was this an abstract? Is it a study of 20 patients? Is it a randomized controlled clinical trial? And that gives you some idea uh, of how much credence to put into a new recommendation. The other thing where I think they are incredibly useful are these disease states where we don't have a ton of evidence and know what to do. So rarities, like the soft tissue sarcomas, I, I probably look at the most just because sarcomas are very confusing, and uh, we try to refer patients out to you know tertiary centers, but they're like a pretty rural population that has a lot of health disparities that is not able to travel all the time to these centers. Uh, and so for these rare disease states, uh, where you're not going to find randomized controlled clinical trials, you're basically just going to have the opinion of some doctor who's who. Who, you know, who sees like 20 of these types of malignancies a year, uh, where we may see one every other year, you know. So in those disease states, those rare malignancies where there is more clinical experience in a, in a limited number of centers over published clinical trial data, you'll find that in these NCN guidelines. And that's what I find to be really useful about using them, as well as pointing me in the direction of what I should be reading. So take on point. Uh, they're kind of a table of contents. That's why I think of them... Um, uh, if you are very new to this, it is a very helpful resource just to figure out what is what is the lung cancer regimen that we should be looking into for this guy. Like if you're trying to prepare 
uh, in advance of maybe what sort of nausea and vomiting regimen somebody would need, um, and you're trying to predict what chemo will be chosen by the team, really useful to help figure that out. Uh, but if you're, but just because it's a category one or category two A or whatever doesn't mean it's wrong to do something different than what these guidelines say, uh, as long as you have the ability to to synthesize the published data and the evidence to form your own, uh, you know, well-rounded and educated opinion. I think that's fine. Uh, and that's probably what a lot of folks would want their their oncology fellows to be able to do or their PGY2 uh, oncology pharmacy residents to be able to do is to synthesize that own data and to, to come to an informed uh, decision-making uh, point uh, after reviewing that. So that's how I use the NCCN guidelines. You know, you can use them how you want to. Thank you for listening to uh, to this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDNIP, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoPharmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. And you know, they don't always get into doses in the NCCN guidelines. I'll tell you that. They, they you know, Sometimes they, they, they don't always give you the details on the doses, and you do have to go to those references. So, uh, sorry, doses matter. Mm-hmm.